Finally, that day came when she had to establish her own domain, but over his dominion, she had no reign. So one set out in pursuit of a higher fate and joined with two to form the third triumvirate. Journeys of departure branching into the unknown, but on these mics, this triad has found its home. In one accord, three she's offer you their counsel. Raise your frequencies to the Empress High Council. Great day, queens and kings, and welcome to the Empress High Council. Thank you for tuning in, and don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button. Great day, royal family, and welcome to Episode 9, Humanitarianism. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button. You can follow us at Tri Empress on IG and Twitter, or you can just Google us, Empress High Council. We are everywhere. This is the alchemist coming to you on the frequency of energy to transmute your social and spiritual and financial currency into abundance. As always, we come to you from a place of being grateful, thankful, and great. I would like to thank our listeners and subscribers. Before we get started with our roundtable talk, Jazz Aphrodite has a few words. Hello, royal family. This is Jazz Aphrodite coming to you from the Empress High Council on the three universal frequencies of love, music, and numbers. So I wanted to gather your attention today because in a previous episode, I believe it was episode seven, we were talking about our grounding foundations (laughs) and we were talking about veganism and I mentioned that my mother is now vegan and the food is whack. (laughs) And that caused an uproar in my living situation. (laughs) And so I am humbly apologizing on the air because it was misconstrued to believe that I was saying the food itself was whack, but what I meant was is limited options. I did say the food tasted good. I just meant there were limited options that weren't as scrumptious mm. as the non-vegan options. Because we all know. And because of that, I am apologizing, not just to my mother, because I don't want to use this platform to disrespect the one woman who has taught me the same recipe that Tisha loves so much. And on top of that, I don't want to alienate our vegan listeners. I do believe that many of our listeners are on a higher frequency, and that higher frequency is gained by the food that you eat. And vegan food is said to be the highest quality and the highest frequency food. So with that, I humbly apologize, and I turn the tables back to you, the alchemist. Thank you. However, I did hear you talk about that food that your mother taught you that I loved so much. I heard you cook that on Christmas. Guys, I didn't get any of it. Didn't get not one bit of it. So just want you to know. Good job, Cynthia. Good Mm -hmm, job. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Our roundtable talks today are going to be on humanitarianism. But first, as always, let me set the table. And I'm going to set the table with a quote. And this quote, I came up with this. So it's just something that I just came up with. If you can't make an impact, at least make a huge dent. Word. So let's jump right into it. What is humanitarianism? According to a few definitions I read, as well as our collective thoughts at the council, humanitarianism is an informal ideology of practice. It is the promotion of human welfare. A humanitarian is someone who actively engages in promoting human welfare and social reforms, 
and who has no prejudice with human suffering on grounds of gender, sexual orientation, religious or national divisions. A humanitarian's goal is to save lives, relieve suffering, and maintain human dignity. Humanitarianism is an ideology committed to the cause of human welfare or social welfare. Let me give you a few examples of some inspiring examples of humanitarianism or humanitarianism projects so that you guys know. So one is global health. We have Doctors Without Borders, right? That's a humanitarian effort, would we say? Yes. Right, Doctors Without Borders. We also have um, people who aid in national disasters with help in recovery of national disasters, poverty, feeding the homeless, uh, fighting for human rights, and protecting children organizations. So we just want to give you a, you know, a broad scope and an example of what humanitarian projects are. But in that sense and in that space as well, let me tell you what it isn't. It isn't providing a free service in exchange for a business gain. For example, I provide a lot of free financial workshops all the time. That is not to be considered a humanitarian act. Well, at least not in my book, because I'm providing a service. Although the initial service is free, I'm providing it for something on the back end. Empresses, were you doing any humanitarian works when you were working for the man? Yes, I was. I was actually working with a Caribbean organization. Anytime like there would be some type of Caribbean devastation. Okay, we okay. We would help gather clothing and foods to ship to the different islands to help out that way. I also would, on a yearly basis, you know, because I believe in giving up to receive more, I would give away clothes that I've never worn or doesn't fit, jewelry, costume jewelry, to be exact. <laughs> Um, shoe. <laughs> Why aren't you giving away the real jewelry? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Costume. But you know, <laughs> nice brooches, hair accessories. Um, one time I even gave away some bundles of hair that I bought that I've never used. This year, I um, for my birthday, well, actually, we're in 2020, guys. Oh, yeah, Yay. that's right. That is right. So for last year, 2019, I um, actually, with the help of Jazz, we fed a homeless shelter that housed 200 families. They got an A-star five-class meal with a birthday cake. You know, I brought snacks for the kids, cases of water so that they could take to their rooms. I actually bought balloons and had a great time, you know, so that felt good to give back. Donating to breast cancer or societies and the walks and, you know. Okay. I say absolutely. I was doing humanitarian work while I was working for the man. I've always had an affinity to help the less fortunate. Although I'm not associated with a large social reform organization, my philanthropy revolves around the homeless. I've worked on Christmas holidays feeding the homeless. I've donated clothing to the women's shelters whenever I've moved to a new location. I've donated my furniture to the Salvation Army. Oh, wow. That's when they accepted furniture they no longer do. I donate to causes that fund devastation caused by natural disasters, as the alchemist mentioned. But I've become wary of those national charity organizations because only a small portion of those proceeds go directly to the people. And I want to make sure that all of my efforts and finances go into the hands of those who need it. Now, in regards to charity work while working for the man, I will say yes to that as well. There's a story that I hardly tell. It's a bit of a long one, but it's an important one because as an educator, 
education is all about giving of yourself and being of service to others. But this example is critical because philanthropy is also using your influence to help others who need assistance along their spiritual journeys. I'm going to let that marinate for a second. In my last years of working for the Department of Education, I worked for the Charter Accountability Office that oversaw the city's charter schools, although my work was with the unions and the district schools. I wanted to get a better sense of how charters worked, so I signed up to go through the new school charter process, which entails reviewing charter applications. And at the last minute, I'm scouring the list of available proposals looking for one that had a theme that I'd be interested in. Of course, all the interesting themes were taken, so I do a little eeny, meeny, miny, mo deduction and land on one called Capital Prep Harlem School. I briefly read the one-pager. We have a call in a week about the full proposal. So now remember, charter work isn't my priority. I work directly with the district schools, so I take this assignment lightly. I don't read the proposal. The day of the call with the state, I email the executive director of the charter office and I tell her I won't be able to make the call. She'll have to designate someone else. She emails me back and she's like, as too short of a notice, you need to see the whole process through. This means I now have one hour to read the 60-page proposal and get on the call for the review with the state education department. So I stop my work and begin reading, and when I crack the proposal open is Diddy's proposal for his school. And on his board of trustees is Dr. Steve Perry, Ian Levansant, and three other brothers I'm not familiar with, but one is an Ivy League graduate who's also his CFO, the other is a banker, and the last one is a real estate tycoon. Imagine the odds of me getting this proposal. So I read the proposal, first round goes well. The face-to-face interview comes, and Iyanla can't make it because she's stuck in production filming Iyanla Fix My Life. And the state decides that they don't want Dr. Perry in the room because he's proposing to switch his position once the school is approved, and they think it's a conflict of interest. I immediately get into triage mode and convince them to let him sit at the table because there's already one woman down, and he's the pillar of the school. It's really his vision, although the CFO is sharp as a tack and could speak to every single detail of that proposal. Fine, we successfully get through the second round. The state is impressed with the board and their presentation, but they have more reservations about the timeline and location of the school. And at this point, my obligation to this process is done. But I followed the process along every step of the way just to make sure the school was approved. Now, one could argue and say that Diddy already has the means and this is not charity. And yes, he has the financial means. But for whatever reason, he chose to create a public school and not a privately funded one. So he has the wherewithal to get things done in the music and media realm, but not in education. And we all need an angel guide to assist us as we navigate unfamiliar terrain, whether they be here on earth in the spiritual realm. And it feels good to be able to say that I fulfilled my call of duty to be that angel for him. Now he has his first school in Harlem. So I say all of this to say, there's some of you royal family who have the power to help those on the brink of their success through your connections and your influence. Extend a hand, be that angel guide on the side. It takes nothing from you and you gain so much more in the long run. That's amazing. Wow. That is, what are the odds of that? What are the odds of that? Wow, I kind of feel a little bit different about some my humanitarian efforts. This is The Alchemist. I'm part of one of the greatest sororities in the world, Delta Sigma Theta. Ooh, to my sorors out there. 
My foundational belief system and the fabric of everything is really public service and humanitarianism work. Very early on, I participated in Habitat for Humanity. I had my own girls program at Menasink in Harlem, New York called GEMS. What are the odds of that? Girls mm-hmm. Empowered by Menasink Sisterhood. I thought about that. I was like, I've been a gem forever. Yep. Hence, I got on my, I'm a crystal gem. I was born a crystal gem shirt. I've cleaned and painted and refurbished parks, but I haven't done any of that stuff in like the last 12 years. I've changed. Charity for me right now starts at home. And as a result, we at the council may have some different views on our humanitarian efforts. Sure do. You know, know, I honestly think I cannot give and do for others when I may have a mother, aunt, niece, nephew, brother, cousin, sister who don't have school clothes, food, on the brink of homelessness, don't have shoes, a warm winter coat, and can't afford their monthly medication. I honestly think if more people thought like me and took care of their families, there would be less of a need for local humanitarian efforts. This is just my belief. Mm. Look at all the stars out there who have made it. They have left their families out to let the system or other people take care of them. I'm pretty sure that every wealthy person has at least someone in their first to second generation who is dependent on the system or some other philanthropic services. What do you ladies think about charity starting at home? Sounds like some rationalized <laughs> selfishness to me. Now, I don't disagree with you in terms of helping parents who can't help themselves. Now, if you tell me that home-based charity is taking care of your elderly parents or disabled family members who can't take care of themselves, then yes, absolutely. Yes. But giving to able-bodied people who can help themselves is called enabling. Now, I'm not judging you because I was once there myself, but if your focus is mainly inward and not for the concern of others who are in need, truly in need, that same home that you're trying to preserve will suffer whether it be financially, emotionally, or spiritually. Everything is cyclical, and we have a right to give. Not so much to get, but to maintain. And for the record, queens and kings, home-based charity does not consist of garage sales. (laughs) Nothing aggravates me more than seeing people selling their old shit on their lawn. (laughs) Just give it away. (laughs) Even though this is America... Everything should not be based on capitalism. Mm-hmm. I agree. Mm-hmm. 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 But I be finding some good things in those garages. <laughs> <laughs> what they say, one man's garbage is another, another man's, man's treasure. treasure. <laughs> so that leads us to another thought, giving back to really those in need. What mm-hmm. is the difference between family versus philanthropy and humanitarianism? Well, I'll speak to the familial aspect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I was taught to give of myself freely. I used to make the mistake of giving those who already had. Anyone who knows me knows I'll give away my material possessions in a heartbeat. If I have excess of anything, I'll just give it to a friend or a family member. And it was never really a big deal. And I throw parties and cater the entire thing, no charge at the door, because that's what I grew up seeing. And we always had a way to maintain our household and pay the mortgage, even though times were sometimes rough because my father was a seasonal construction worker. But my mother advised me to stop giving people like myself who have, and I didn't listen. But what I've come to learn is helping family and friends breeds resentment. It breeds jealousy. It breeds false expectations. And there's this feeling of, 
how is she able to do all of this for herself and do for me as well? And if she has so much, she doesn't need the things she has. And family will always come to you with the sob story and you'll fall for it like a sucker. Not because you are one, but because you are emotionally tied. And above all, you set yourself up to get got. People will steal from you literally and figuratively. So I no longer do any of these things. And since I'm out of my seven pinnacle cycle, amen, and in a four pinnacle cycle of efficiency, my motto for the next nine years is waste not, want not, mm. lend, lend not, <laughs> borrow not. Mm. We got monkeys for those. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We need four monkeys with their hands in their pocket like, I don't got shit for you. Wow, wow. <laughs> You know, I, I think we, we I, I got what you're saying. I'm 1,000% there. I'm still, you know, I'm teeter-tottering in between the two areas myself as far as philanthropy and humanitarianism and versus, you know, my family and their needs. But I can tell you one thing for sure and two things for certain. I have gotten got. Yes, hmm. you will get got. <clears throat> okay, many times. I remember a family member was on the brink of eviction and I gave them all the money that they needed to get out of eviction. They squandered that money and was out of their home in like 60 days after that. Hmm. They were like, well, we had other bills that needed to be paid. Nah. Other things needed to be done, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, I've gotten got plenty of times. Plenty of times I still do it. Uh, I've gotten got plenty of times. So, Do you think there's a universal spiritual benefit of all of this, though? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Like you, like we said, there's a famous quote, who much is given, much is required. Do you really believe that? Yes, I Absolutely. do. I do Absolutely. believe that. I live that every day. Yes. That leads us to another school of thought at the center of influence in our families and communities. How do we pass these universal principles on to our children? Are we teaching them how to fish or are we fishing for them? Well, in my situation, I could actually say I'm doing a little of both. Now, hear me out. So, I'm teaching my daughter how to fish by learning how to give back to others while making space to allow her to receive more. So, for Christmas, what we did was she comes to me with a list. Oh, I want this. I want that. Okay. So, I'm walking around her room. But, Zoe, look at all these toys that work that are in good condition. This one, all you need are batteries. Yeah, but I don't want to play with those anymore. They're old. They're old, but they're in good condition. So why should you need more? Well, this one is better or that one is, you know, so I'm like, well, you know, if you want more, you have to make room. And with all these toys in here, there's no way your new toys can fit. So what we're gonna do is, and tell me how you like it, would you like to give these toys back to children who may not get toys for Christmas? And she looks at me like, like, are there children that don't get toys? Yes. Wow, yeah. So she gladly was like, oh, you think they would like this? And we start to put them together and mm -hmm. put them in bags mm -hmm. so that she can have more. And we also do that for her birthday. Mm -hmm. But it's her giving presents for her birthday so that she could get presents for herself. Yeah. Same thing, mm -hmm. same concept. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I try to teach everyone to fish, not just children. So how does our legacy continue if we hold on to the secrets and keep them to ourselves, right? Mm. 
And the issue I have is not so much teaching children, but their willingness to learn, which is one of the reasons why I left the classroom, because it was just an upward battle of wanting or of having to fight with children to teach them and give them the knowledge that they will need to be successful. But everything is so instant these days that no one wants to do the work. No one wants to do the research. No one wants to develop the discipline to work through the things they don't know and figure out when the teacher isn't around. I'm all for teaching what I know. I'm all for giving my knowledge. I'm all for giving up myself, whether it be technology, numerology, life lessons, vocal lessons. But the drive and motivation and discipline have to be there. Right. And that's an inner yearning that I can't teach. But I can stress the importance of having that sense of urgency and agency to do and want to be better because there's no participation awards in my camp. You either do the work and grind, you get the results and be rewarded, or you slack off and expect everything to be given or told to you and the world will spit you out. It's for the youngins of this generation to decide which one they want to be. Either way, my fishing classes are open. Just come ready to catch and keep your own work. Whoa, I like that. <laughs> and bring your own seasoning. <laughs> I like that. This is The Alchemist. And this I will have to revisit. This is a very exhausting topic for me, being that I've already raised seven children, not my own. Hmm. And somewhere in between, I learned a lot and I got better. And then the global landscape changed, and now I'm fishing for the kid. I'm still working on a corrective action plan for that. However, I do surround myself with friends that keep me grounded, like Jazz Aphrodite, who encourage and remind me of the importance of humanitarian efforts. Another good friend of mine who is the founder of an organization in New York City called Her University that protects young children from sexual, mental, physical, and psychological abuse through her three-point theory. Shout out to her university and Miss Shafan Abney. Shout out to Shafan. She labeled herself on her business card, other than being the CEO and founder, as lead humanist. And we talk about that all the time. That's dope. And she talks about herself being a lead humanist. And I just listen. She's dope. <laughs> her mission is to strategically eliminate the high probability of adolescents who are at risk for developing permanent mental disorders, experiencing sexual abuse, and living in long-term poverty. So I'm a board member for her organization, but at the same time, in my book, just being a board member is not a humanitarian effort. Right. You have to be out there, boots on ground. So when I spoke to her to get my perspective on this whole humanitarianism topic that we were talking about today and I talked about me saying that charity starts at home she laid me out that's right she as laid she me should have out. she said are you a modular being <laughs> yeah she said you're a modular she said just being a good provider for your family that's all you are you're not a humanitarian you're just being a good provider for your family are you really helping or enabling society that's what humanitarian is about humanitarian efforts should be attributed to having a positive experience helping the seed of love and growing people and she hung up on me i would have hung up on you too <laughs> she sure did I don't hang blame up on her. me i was like okay so i'm so glad that i have people that put me in my place. i love chiffon oh my goodness i love her you know but why is humanitarianism so important in this new space to end today in this age because what you put out there in the universe is what returns to you. But you don't want to put it out there because you want something to return to you. You have to 
have it in your heart, your core, mm-hmm. to want to do something for others. You have to see that person on the street get tired. Like the homeless epidemic. Like, I'm tired of seeing it. You know, this year I wanted to go around and just give out comforters. You know, but I didn't have the means to do that. But that's something that I'm going to do. They need help. You have to be who you want when you're in trouble. Be who you wanted as a kid. Be who you wanted when you were going through that hard time. You pray to God for these things. You ask for these things. Be that person. Sometimes we're the answer to other people's prayers. Be who you want when you are in a place of need. It is important to give and be a humanitarianist in this space because life is a blessing. And this life is a blessing. To wake up every day and be able to choose what I want to do is a blessing. And yes, I plan for it, but plans don't always pan out the way we think they will. But what motivates me is being in a position to heal and help. Besides feeding the homeless for my birthday, as we did, and Richard and I, I've started donating new clothes that don't fit me to women's shelter. Instead of sending them back for a refund, I just let them pile up and I send them all to the women's shelter. I donate to children's causes. I started donating to the libraries. And now my accountant takes payment from me in the form of donations to his charities as opposed to charging me since I'm no longer working. Oh, wow. I give to homeless people all the time, whether it's food or money. I give to those wearing specific colors, red and black. They will almost always ask for food. And for those who are familiar with the African Orishas, Ilegwa, Ilegba, or Eshu is a deity of the crossroads. And he opens the doors and clears the pathways for those who are doing their divine work. But his function is to test and try out the human spirit and to help us along our spiritual path. Mm -hmm. I bring him up because over the summer, he approached us at a restaurant while we were eating. A homeless Mm -hmm. man, very unassuming, asking for food. And I just ordered some plantains and okra, or what other people call fish cakes, to go home. And I didn't want to part with my food. So remembering his colors, I asked if he wanted money instead, and he nodded his head yes. And I gave him $5, the last $5 that I had, because I felt guilty for not giving him the food. And I looked back to see if he had gone in a store to spend it, and he was gone. Now fast forward to the Monday before New Year's Eve, and I'm on the train, and a homeless man comes in the car holding money in his hand, a big wad of money, and he's asking for more. But he's not just asking, he's having a conversation with us about giving him the money, almost like he's expecting it. And he had a crazed and deranged look about him. And I had my headphones on, so I couldn't hear his exact words, but I shook my head no, because I don't usually keep cash in my wallet. So he stands by the door to the right, and I notice that he's wearing a red jacket with black cuffs at the end of each sleeve. And my clear audience kicks in, and I hear, that's Ilegua, you have to give him something. Then I remember you, Nadia, and you gave me $5 for the train fare the Saturday before. And I go into my wallet, and I give him the five that I had, and he snatches it out of my hand and walks off the train. He's like, this guy. (laughs) (laughs) And then he disappears again. Turns out, whatever you give, Ilegba, initially, you have to continue giving every time you see him. And I'm grateful I had that five in my wallet. But as I said, that was a test. So the five would have always been in my wallet. They just would have been testing to see whether I gave it to him or not. So keep those hundred singles in your wallet, like Tish advised last episode. 
And if he comes to you, give him the dollar instead. I remember those times, Jackie. And I'm so glad that you actually brought that brought that up about the restaurant. Because if you really think about and you really look at what Elegba looks like, the man really did look like him. He did. He does not, he's not going to change what he actually looks like. The man really did look like him. So wait, what about the guy on the train? Did he look like him? Yeah. Different man, but they have a man, similar same, look. The same similar look. Now that I think about it, I mean, I didn't. Guys, queens and kings, listen, I'm learning too. Okay. Yeah, I'm, learning. I'm sitting here a at the lot. round table. I am learning just like you are learning. So, guys, the $100 rule, $5 for, you know, the crossroads, God, and so that your money can be multiplied. But remember the colors to who we're giving that to. Red and black. Red and black. And if you only have a dollar, give him a dollar. Because every time you see him, he will ask you for whatever you gave him the first time. So you can even give him a quarter, but I prefer to give dollars. But yeah, make sure you have that on hand. Well, this concludes our episode of Humanitarianism. Don't forget to hit the like, subscribe, and share button. And before we go, we're going to leave you with our one final thought. Don't, Don't take, take swimming, swimming lessons from, from drowning, drowning people. people.